Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of THN on the Cube, brought to you by BetMGM. As always, I'm Will McLaren. Alongside me is Jamie Tozer. And uh, here to talk about uh, the upcoming NHL entry draft in Nashville, along with the two of us, is uh, a guy that's uh, pretty well known to uh, New Brunswick Q fans. He is a writer for the Hel- for the Hellebag Moosets. How about that? Uh, how about a, he- a writer for the Moncton Wildcats and the St. John Sea Dogs and the Halifax Moosets when they're visiting those two locales? <laughs> for Post Media, Kevin Barrett. Kevin, thanks for joining. Well, thanks for having me. It's an exciting time of year for sure. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that time of the year. Of course, we had the excitement of the Q draft, which we recapped last week. Uh, by the way, for anybody listening or and or watching to this, watching this, it's a Monday night that we're recording a little bit earlier than usual. But of course, the draft is on a Wednesday night this year. Um, and let's start it off right there because it has been traditionally the weekend, the Friday night institution, the NHL draft for I'm saying probably the last 20, 25 years has been, has been a Friday night thing Um, switched over to Wednesday. Everybody has their own rationale why they think that is. Um, Let's start with uh, you, Jamie. Uh, What are your thoughts on that switch? (laughs) I love it. I just love uh, staying up till like midnight on a, on a Wednesday. I just love it. (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think any, I don't think anybody really likes it. Um, Hopefully this is a one year deal um hopefully this is just some weird event that this had that caused this and hopefully it's not a, a permanent fixture because i think i think everybody prefers it to be on a weekend um especially day two for people like us who actually follow um day two closely i don't think it's 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 overly fun to to follow that uh, all day on a on a thursday no and and you know there's been a number of theories out there I don't know if I've seen anything confirmed one way or the other as to why that is, whether or not it's uh, the ESPN factor, whether it's something the NHL is trying to uh, incorporate because other major pro sports have their drafts in the middle of the week. Um, now, I know myself, the one thing that I will say is a redeeming factor, and Kevin, you, know, you you have to write an article on this draft in all likelihood, especially with the uh, with one of the guys we're about to talk about in a little more depth, uh, Etienne Morin, slated yes. to go potentially in the first round most likely at least in the second round, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to be on top of this all Wednesday night. I'm going to have to write a recap for the league, assuming that there is a first round on Wednesday night. What are your thoughts on this? Do, does that change your uh, opinion on this at all? Not happen to stay up all hours on a Friday night. Well, there's uh, you know, when you're uh, on tight deadlines, even during game nights, uh, you would prefer that the game start at five o'clock rather than seven or seven thirty. So um, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. I would much prefer the way the queue did it with a nice start uh, um, early on a Saturday. But um, I guess I can see maybe up against the free agent frenzy, which is traditionally July first, and maybe that's the conflict, or maybe they want to just roll one into the other. But uh, and they know that Connor Bedard is going to draw a big audience. 
and maybe they wanted to do it prime time and really milk that. But whatever the reason, I'm with Jamie. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a Saturday no. Well, there is deadlines all the time now, but for us traditional newspaper types that never used to have a Sunday paper, a Saturday afternoon event was always what you look forward to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and actually, the NHL draft, I remember once upon a time, it was on a Saturday afternoon back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was a thing. So, uh, those days are gone by the looks of it. We'll see uh, where it lands on the calendar next week. Uh, good point with the free agent frenzy thing as well, of course, coming up uh, on Canada Day, uh, the uh, Saturday, I believe that is. Yep. Uh, but for now, let's talk about the guys in the draft and the guys in the queue. And the, uh, the story really since the beginning of this year and even earlier than that was um, not quite as uh, big of a year for the queue. Obviously, uh, as as in past years, um, you know, to have maybe one, two at very most uh, guys being selected in the first round would probably be the ideal situation or the best case scenario. But let's talk about the top two guys, at least to, to, to begin with here. Uh, Ethan Gauthier, Etienne Morin. Gauthier, the consensus number one guy to come out of the queue, but he did drop a little bit here uh, throughout the course of the year. Not substantially, but a little bit. Meanwhile, Moran was a bit of a riser. Um, we'll go to you, Jamie, here first of all. Uh, give us your take on both of those guys. We haven't talked about them a whole lot since we uh, did our Prospect of the Week uh, feature on both those guys back in uh, October. Um, since then, is there anything that you uh, want to add, anything that you've seen in their game this year uh, that make you feel that they may get drafted in a certain slot? Yeah, you know, Goche seems to be kind of a borderline first round pick at this point. It seems like he's going to be you know, 25 to 32 or, or first few picks of the second round type right now. Um, yeah. No, doing some reading about him, I do think his stock will be a little bit interesting just given what's happened over the past few weeks with uh, Matthew Chuck. And the reason why I bring that up is there's a few quotes from Goche saying he models his game after Matthew Chuck. And he plays kind of that similar physical, nasty style. Um, Goche, not a big guy, only six foot. Um, and like Kachuk, obviously has some offensive flair. Um, and just knowing that NHL teams are probably looking for players like Kachuk now, given the success the Panthers had, I do think that is a bit of an interesting element. Maybe that will help get him into the first round uh, that he may not have been in if, uh, if Florida didn't have that run. Um, and Mora is, I mean, those, the numbers he put up are ridiculous as a second year, uh, defenseman in the league and, um, put up over a point per game, finished third in Q defenseman scoring, um, gets so many shots to the net, definitely has some work to improve. And obviously an offensive defenseman like that, you always want to see him improve his defensive game a little bit, um, skating as well. Um, but his talent or his, his offense is just so good that, um, I could see him rising in the draft. I'm curious to see where he does end up. I, 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 I know there's some people who even think he could go ahead of Goche, which might be a little bit of a stretch, but I have seen some, some mock drafts really um, having him go high. And, and that is a good point to Jamie. You know, he has been a riser. Goche has been steady, if not maybe dropped a, a half a run, let's say, yeah. uh, in the eyes of some. Uh, Kevin, you've watched Etienne Morant all year uh, following the Moncton Wildcats. I'd like to get your thoughts on really uh, what you've seen out of him, even from the time he entered the league uh, up until now, his progression, and also any thoughts that you have on uh, Ethan Goche. 
Well, maybe I'll start with uh, Ethan Gochi, and I really just have uh, thoughts from a distance. Uh, my perspective is really the, the New Brunswick-based players usually and, uh, and the, the New Brunswick-based team. So I don't really have a lot of uh, insight on Gochi other than just kind of following him through the draft process and seeing where he has kind of landed and obviously a big part of his first uh, couple of years in the queue. And uh, uh, this nastiness, and I, I'd like to talk about another prospect a little bit later, that that edge is, is coming, maybe coming back a little bit because of Matthew Kachuk. And if that's what he has, then that's going to be, that's going to be a good thing to model. I think um, Vegas and Florida both prove that in their run to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Etienne Morin is a silky smooth, really calm presence inside the dressing room and on the ice. And it's, it's really kind of neat to see him play. Um, he overcame mononucleosis at the start of this year. And once he kind of got his bearings, his game and the Wildcats game, really took off and um, it seems that everything is he does is with ease especially in the offensive zone um, I can't tell you how many times that he has on the power play he just delivers a nice little saucer pass to Yong Loshing who we may be talking about next year um, and for one-timers that go top corner or way over that make a nice noise on the glass but it's it's uh, he really does deliver a nice sweet pass but he has a good enough shot that you can't, you have to respect it because he did have 21 goals in the queue this year. And I think that he is kind of the bit of the face of the, the Wildcats. Um, they have the top prospects game coming up uh, in January. And uh, as a, as a player in that uh, last year, he will be heavily involved in the marketing, which he already has of that game. And I think that he's kind of got a demeanor. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's really, uh, pleasant to talk to. He's got a he's got a got a winning personality that makes uh, that makes him easy to root for. And um, his ascent up the uh, up the ladder the last second half, particularly in the last month, he was a plus nineteen in March. Um, Eleven games, he had sixteen points. He was paired with a veteran, Anthony Hamel. And I think that uh, during just going back to the tra the draft, Moncton with Hamel graduating secured. Um, Olivier Botin from Gatineau, and I think he will fill the Hamel role, and, and Moran will continue to do what he did. So there's, I, I agree with Jamie. I think if there's someone to have a potential to move up even a little bit, it could be Moran. Interestingly enough, I talked to him on Sunday evening, and I said, "Oh, you're a Montreal guy. You know the Canadians have a couple of picks. You know you must be that must be your favorite team growing up." He said, "We went to a lot of games. I love, I like the Habs, but my favorite team was the Leafs." who would also be around a pick that potentially he could land with. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned Anthony Hamel, a guy who came up in our playoff preview before Moncton uh, faced off against Bake Mo. And uh, you make a very good point there, uh, Kevin. Not only uh, Anthony Hamel, a couple of scouts mentioned to me that he could have been the X factor in that series. And I think in a lot of ways it was, not just for his own play, but in what he allowed Etienne Moran to do in Etienne Moran. Uh, full credit, as he'd done all year long, really took the ball and rolled with it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, as you mentioned, uh, how uh, the partnership, potential partnership with Olivier Boutin will be uh, next year and uh, as he becomes uh, an established veteran. Uh, let's talk about another couple of guys here. We're going to go uh, kind of bounce through the list here. We're not going to go in exact numerical order of the uh, top 10. We do want to cover the top 10 as much as we can. Uh, guys uh, on the uh, final CSR list from the queue. But I'm going to go with a pair of Halifax Mooseheads here. Now, we've all had the opportunity to see the Mooseheads quite a bit. I'm sure our listeners are sick and tired of hearing about the Halifax Mooseheads um, for a litany of re reasons. But, of course, one of them being 
they were a heck of a team this year and they went to the league final and they went to the league final largely on the back of a couple of guys who will get drafted here on Wednesday, on uh, Thursday, most likely Matthew Catafor and Dylan McKinnon. I'm going to start with you on this one, Ken, of course, McKinnon, the Riverview guy, um, a little bit closer to home uh, for you, you as well, Jamie, uh, as of right now. Um, but a guy who went from, a guy who a lot of people expected to be in the scouting world to be a shutdown guy in the queue. And as the season rolled on this year, we saw more and more of that come to the forefront. Well, uh, um, the, the since departed Halifax Moosehead coach, Sylvain Favreau, uh, his eyes lit up Coming when I asked next. him about, <laughs> uh, his eyes lit up when I asked him about Dylan during the playoff series against the Wildcats. And he just had a little snicker. Like it's like, it was an old school guy that Dylan was. And he, he likes that physical style. And, and that's what I was, who I was alluding to earlier that, uh, McKinnon likes to play a rough game. He likes to play a tough game, but he's got, he's got great skating ability and he's that he's got a good size that, and also comes from a pedigree where uh, from the Moncton Flyers organization that he has the ability to, that has been proven before to maybe make a difference as we've seen in the queue, at least um, from a number of fronts. Um, I think that he's really just about to explode in his 18 year old year. And I think that potential has been reflected as his climb up the rankings. Uh, he, he moved from 65 to 61 in the last ranking. And I think there's another guy that you may see somebody take a late second round flyer on. Definitely. And, uh, uh, Jamie, uh, let's talk a little bit as well about Matthew Catafor, a guy who um, kind of insulated uh, up front in that uh, Mooseheads lineup. Obviously, 350 goal scores around him this year. Um, he is going to be expected to uh, step up in his role next year as the Mooseheads make another run to the Gilles Corteau uh, Cup uh, final, perhaps. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, he was an impact guy all throughout this season and then the playoffs as well. Uh, give me your thoughts. Yeah, and you know, similar to Ethan Goche, kind of fell behind a lot of veteran and older forwards um, behind, you know, Lawrence and um, uh, LaRue and all those other, Dume and all the other high-octane offense guys that Halifax has. But we saw in the playoffs when LaRue got hurt, when Dume got hurt, we saw Catterford really step up. Um, which I thought was was huge for him as a player, but also huge for the Mooseheads just to show that they obviously have a very good player and will play a key role for them next year. But um, certainly a, a, a player who showed um, some consistency, 75 points in 68 games, um, added another 13 in the playoffs. Um, you know, not a guy who's overly flashy, plays kind of a simple game. Um, I've seen some some scouts say to um, various websites and news agencies say that he's, he's kind of a safe NHL pick. Um, you know, even if his offensive game doesn't really translate to the pro level, he has other tools. He's, he's good defensively, can play physically, um, just an all, you know, a good all around player that I'm sure next year, uh, we'll probably see even more offense from him, but, um, a pretty solid pick for, for a team, I think, even though, uh, um, you know, kind of his career tra trajectory is probably more a bottom six type role. Um, but a guy who could definitely uh, hear his name called fairly early uh, on, on Thursday, I would think. And, uh, you know, we talked about Cat Ford, you know, being able to uh, uh, maneuver through that lineup uh, with maybe a little bit less pressure. Let's talk about another uh, couple of guys coming up here who 
were very much front and center in their in the success that their te- respective teams had this year. Of course, one of them is no longer with that specific team. Uh, I'm talking about Cam Squires over in Cape Breton, of course, who uh, put together a fantastic season, if not a little bit under the radar, but uh, a guy that uh, Sylvain Couturier has uh, uh, spoken very highly of uh, in uh, postseason uh, discussion. And Andre Lashko, uh, who... Uh, on a young Shikudami team, really started to lead the way in the second half of the season. Of course, we'll be expected to lead the way now with the Bruin and the Huskies and their very stacked team. Uh, we'll uh, start with you on this, uh, Jamie, uh, particularly Lashko. Uh, some of your thoughts there. And uh, I guess the question might not just be um, where does he get selected on Thursday, presumably, but um, you know, how much of an impact will he have? Uh, in that Huskies lineup next year, which is looking very much like what the Moosehead's lineup, offensively at least, looked like this year. Yeah, adding a year older Lashko to that the the moves that the Huskies made, that's really exciting. Got to be excited for him, exciting for Huskies fans, um, exciting for us too, follow the league, because that's that's a looks like a loaded team um, with a new coach as well. So very exciting times um, to see what they look like. Um, a Belarusian, who uh, we don't see very many of them in this draft, and um, certainly, uh, some geopolitical issues there that, that could potentially impact him. Probably not as much at the NHL level, but maybe, uh, more so at the junior level. Um, but a point per game last year, 70 points in 67 games, um, certainly increased his numbers from a year ago. Um, really good offensive instincts, a really good shot has a really good one timer. Um, not the biggest guy, but he has increased in size. So, um, we could see even uh, an even larger Lashko uh, next year, um, but certainly uh, a key contributor for Ruan Aranda next year, and a guy who um, I would say could probably push for 100 points next year. Yeah, a, a guy who can uh, fire the puck from really all ranges uh, up front, uh, from distance, tremendous release uh, on Lashko. And as you mentioned, uh, Jamie, a guy who's not going to have the uh, – Benefit of international competition uh, because of the sanctions against Belarus. He'd be a slam dunk for uh, the Belarusian national team. Um, Moving over to you, Kevin. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Cam Squires. For as good of a goal scorer as Andre Lajko has been all over the ice this year, Cam Squires is very much maybe a little bit more of a dirty area sort of guy. Uh, What have you seen from him this year? What do you like about his game? Well, there was a game that Cape Breton played Moncton towards the end of the season, and Cape Breton had a, a really strong second half, as did he, and it was reflected in his draft rankings that came uh, from 114 all the way to 56 in the North American skaters, so people were taking notice. And there was a, a game that uh, Moncton wanted to win in the race for second place or third place in the in the conference so for playoff seating. Cape Breton came in, and Cam squires really set the tone he scored a neat shorthanded goal that uh, broke up a play in the defense zone and then made a skilled offensive play to to get the goal and uh, he had a couple of assists that night and i thought that was very reflective of a strong showing from a guy you know in his draft year against a team that had a lot to play for uh, considering where monkin was at the time and uh, he comes from uh, he comes from a strong family of that's that uh, has um that has previous experience in the queue and uh Father is involved in the Maritime Junior League, of course, and uh, and uh, so he has uh, he has that backing, and he seems to me to be one of those guys that has uh, has a strong hockey sense, and um, you know he's got good size, he's got uh, potentially goal scoring, game breaking skills, and I think that he is another guy that could uh, rock it up 
much farther than people would have expected at the start of the year in Cape Breton. Yeah, and both Squires and Lashko, uh, significant risers uh, since the initial players to watch list was uh, put out by the NHL back in October. I'm going to talk about another guy who wasn't even on the list at all uh, back in October, and he made his way all the way up to 110. I'm going to give this one to you, Kevin. Sorry, Jamie. Um, i got to get somebody else talking about a sea dog here for a change. You know, Kevin, Kevin's 10 minutes away from uh, TD Station, so we got to get him to talk about a guy that he's seen a lot of. Yeah, yeah, no, you can save your complaints for later. That's all right. I'm sure he'll be more than one Long-suffering producer Connor, uh, Connor uh, Somerville uh, behind the scenes probably shaking his head at that comment. But, uh, Kevin, uh, let's get some thoughts on Sea uh, Dogs for Cold Burger. Well, I feel honored to get the uh, the distinction here. Um, but yeah, Cole Burbage <laughs> is a guy that uh, came in um, uh, because of the uh, St. John Sea Dogs run to the Memorial Cup in two, 2022. There was just no room for him as a 2005 player. And so um, when he did come in this year, it took a little while to get going. But once the trade period uh, happened and the Sea Dogs um, were without uh, Cam McDonald, trade to Gatineau, Connor Trenum traded to Moncton, that opened up some playing time, as did injury to Peter Reynolds. And um, Cole really started to flourish. He's kind of an understated guy, but his play on the ice was was quite remarkable, averaging almost a point a game in, uh, from January 1st on. And his play offensively, as well as some of the others who got ice time as a result of the changes that the Sea Dogs made at the deadline, uh, they were able to secure that uh, 15 spot in the playoffs and get a get a playoff round where many thought they wouldn't. Um, he's a big guy. He's good with the puck. Um, he's uh, he's a guy that can make a pass, and he has showed some good finish around the net. Um, uh, again, um, kind of coming out of nowhere, so to speak, uh, with this strong second half of the of the uh, of the season, uh, has really put him into a spot where. He, some teams are talking about uh, taking a late flyer. Um, uh, the Sea Dogs had their Hall of Fame banquet the other uh, the other night, and I uh, talked to um, both uh, St. John um, General Manager Anthony Stella and head coach Travis Crickard about the potential uh, for Cole, and and uh, they thought they both said that teams were very very interested, and so it'll be interesting to see if uh, kind of this out of left field pick would would come through for him. Uh, and to reward a really strong January through end of uh, end of March. And, and of course, you know it stands to reason, uh, guys, that you know uh, although you know we've just talked about three guys really that have had significant increases in their stock since the beginning of the year. Um, there's always going to be somebody who falls off a bit, or maybe even a little bit more than, than a bit. And uh, Jamie, I, I want to get your thoughts on this guy, Tyler Peddle who, you know, I think if we were having this discussion probably 16 months ago, he and Goche, I think in some people's books, might have been neck and neck. And it's very much not the case now. In fact, there was some surprise that uh, Tyler Peddle wasn't traded from the Drummondville Voltigeur mm -hmm. uh, at the draft a couple of weekends ago. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Um, basically, you know, could somebody take a flyer on him? A little bit early. Um, will which Tyler Pedal will show up next year? There's a lot of questions around uh, around this guy, and uh, Jamie, I want to get some answers from you. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where he ends up. And I, I seen, I've seen some people even comparing him to kind of Joshua Watt his draft year and how he was kind of underwhelming on the score sheet heading into his draft year, and we saw how much he he turned it around 
um, once you got moved to Sherbrooke. Um, but it looks like we're going to see Pedal in the same environment next year, but um, maybe with a little bit of a better team around him. Because um, I, I feel like Pedal's season is almost reflective of Drummondville's season as a whole. Um, it, it was, you know, just okay um, and a little bit underwhelming. Um, 41 points for Pedal this year, which isn't a huge, huge increase from his rookie year. Um, struggle with consistency, um, but still has a great shot, still has great tools. Um, just hasn't quite found that scoring touch that we thought was we were going to see from him um, in junior hockey. Still had 24 goals last year, which is pretty decent. Um, but certainly we were expecting more um, from Pedal, even more from the Volts um, at this point in his career. So we'll be interesting to see where he goes because, again, this is a guy who I think a lot of us could still see take off at the major junior level, could still end up having a good pro career. Um, but there's obviously some risk there. So um, we'll be fascinating to see where he ends up. I'm sure he'll get drafted, but where he goes will be interesting. All right. Let's uh, close things off here, at least on the individual player level. Uh, two more guys in uh, the top 10 in the CSR. Mateo Mann, the, the Moncton area guy, a uh, big defenseman for Shikudami. Justin Gill, uh, who really came into his own in his third year in the league, uh, fourth year in the league. Should say with Bake, uh, with uh, Sherbrooke sent straight to the Bake Modra car. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. Uh, thoughts on uh, Mateo Mann and that big body defenseman that um, you know isn't quite as prevalent as it was you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago. But uh, Mann's, uh, despite you know, uh, well, I say despite the size, even with the size, still very effective uh, playing for that uh, Shikudami squad. Well, such a such a big presence at six foot six foot six, and here's a guy that's been involved uh, with the with the Flyers program in Moncton, but also with the Canadian program at the under seventeen level, and he was at the prospects game at uh, with uh, Dylan McKinnon and um, and uh, at TM Moran back in January. So he's got the he's got the experience. Uh, I think that uh, his draft stock took a dip in the second half. Um, I'm not sure if people were expecting more offensive production. He only had two points in the second half of the season. And I think there were some injuries involved at play there, but uh, a big six foot six guy that can clear the front of the net and command a presence at this young of an age is certainly a guy that is going to be attractive. Um, I thought I saw a Twitter argument about the uh, size of defenseman and what you have to be. And that is uh, going back to a, a bigger defenseman with obviously the few exceptions of really high skilled players, Eric Carlson, one, one example of many, but uh, that's, you know, if he can, if he can uh, put together a good strong finish to his junior career, he could build on wherever he gets drafted, whether it's in the third, fourth or fifth round. And of course, Jamie, you know, playing on the big ice up in Shkudin, always a big fan. <laughs> Finally, someone said it. Yes, exactly. Uh, Jamie, uh, your thoughts before we close this off? Justin Gill, heck of a season with a powerful uh, Shkudin or Sherbert team, I should say, and now uh, expected to really lead the charge for an up-and-coming Drakkar squad. Yeah, and I think this is a guy I think a lot of us are hoping to get drafted just because it's a great story. Uh, passed over twice in the draft, entering his 20-year-old season. Um, certainly uh, took off and exploded offensively this year. 44 goals, 93 points with a, with a loaded Sherbrooke team. Um, will be really interesting to see next year what his offensive production looks like when he's kind of the guy and not just helping everyone uh, in a loaded Sherbrooke lineup. 
Now, Bakemo has some, certainly some strong offensive guys, but um, certainly not at the same level that Sherbrooke was at this past year. So uh, we'll be interested to see kind of how he, he adapts next year um, in a new environment, but uh, really curious to see, you know, if, is the team going to take a flyer on him or um, later in the draft? But even if he doesn't, uh, there's, there's little question that he's going to get invited to um, a development camp and probably a training camp in the fall. Yeah, definitely. The Phoenix uh, needed to uh, retool that first line this year when two thirds of it graduated at the end of last year. And uh, Justin Gill was uh, instrumental in making that a seamless transition. So last question draft related uh, for both of you. We'll start with you, Jamie. Um, Anybody uh, that we've discussed here that you expect to maybe fall? Anybody expect to rise a little more? Anybody we haven't talked about here? We've only talked about the top 10. There's 31 guys on the list uh, from CER, CSR. Anybody who uh, you feel might be a sleeper pick by for some NHL team out there on uh, Wednesday, Thursday? Well, a guy we already talked about, Dylan McKinnon. Is, is, I'm, I'm curious to see how high he goes. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how Goche is kind of similar to Kachuk, and I think McKinnon kind of plays a similar style to what we have saw on the back ends for Florida and Las Vegas this year. Um, so I'm just curious to see um, if teams kind of look for that hard-hitting, big, physical-style defenseman and, and whether they uh, will pick McKinnon maybe a little bit higher than, uh, than what we expect. Uh, Kevin, same question. Any uh, surprises that uh, you uh, potentially see uh, materializing here uh, in the next few days? Well, maybe not so many surprises, but just kind of an excitement level to see who gets to go where. McKinnon is one of the guys that uh, is, you know, as his stock is rising. We mentioned Cam Squires and also the, the potential with uh, Jim Moran and Cole Rupert. So one guy that could be, I, I'm just interested that he's on the list. And uh, his uh, is a goaltender, which is always hard to hard to figure out. But Joshua Fleming and Akini Bathurst, who is ranked number 30. He's only four spots behind Riley Mercer of Drummondville, who everybody loves and thinks that he has a great potential. But uh, Fleming uh, really caught my eye uh, late in the season with a 43-save shutout against the Mooseheads when the Mooseheads were driving for first place overall. And on an 18th-place team, who's going to get the work? The goalie. And he more than mm-hmm. shone uh, in his season, um, 40 games played, uh, 0.903 save percentage, and got himself onto the list. If that's where it ends, it's still a good story. But – Maybe, just maybe, you never know. Uh, obviously, the projection of goaltenders is a very difficult one at that. Yeah, and we should mention only three goaltenders from the league uh, on this year's list in uh, Quentin Miller and uh, Riley Mercer, along with the aforementioned Joshua Fleming. Um, see if uh, any of those uh, lads uh, get picked up here. In the coming days, at the very least, a strong possibility of uh, a pro uh, invite from uh, all of all of the above. Um, now, obviously, the draft would take the lion's share of our time this this week, um, to the point that you know, behind the scenes, we're kind of hoping that you know we'd, we'd kind of be a calm week news wise in the queue, <laughs> so we could really focus on these prog- uh, pro on these uh, prospects, I should say, but. Um, of course, as is usually the case here on THN on the queue, none of that happened. Um, there is now an even longer list of teams in the queue with a coaching vacancy. Um, we'll talk about a couple of those in a moment, but let's start off with a vacancy that's been filled. 
That one's in Gatineau, and it's Serge Beausoleil, who uh, uh, recently let go by the Rimouski Oceanic. Of course, Louis Robitaille was let go as the head coach and GM of the Olympique after they lost to Quebec in the third round of the playoffs. Beausoleil's there for five years. He has five years to rebuild the Olympique. And uh, we'll start with you on this one, uh, Jamie. Uh, your thoughts? Any big surprise uh, that the merry-go-round landed on Bosley going to Gatineau? No, I don't. I don't think so. He's certainly one of the the bigger named and experienced GMs available. So not a huge shock to see him go to Gatineau. But he's he he's signed up for a big project. Like this is a this is a total tear down um, and rebuild from the very bottom. Um, so. Um, it's going to be quite a job. Um, we've certainly seen Beausoleil build up successful teams in the past, so I think it's a good fit um, and go into a big market. Just it, it, It's just kind of weird to see him in a, a new spot, to be honest. And um, He seemed like a, <laughs> seemed like the Ramuski lifer, and, and Kevin and I both witnessed the Serge Beausoleil masterclass uh, a year ago, uh, or two years ago now. Um, so it'll be a little later. It's kind of weird to see him um, in a new city. Uh, what I found interesting about this, Kevin, was uh, the fact that there was so much chaos around the Olympic going into the draft. Um, they had let go of Louis Robitaille after kind of mentioning that they were committed to him. Um, then he was out the door. Um, they had uh, the, the person who they had requested to run their draft stepped down. It ended up being Jean-Francois Fortin, I believe, who stepped down. Um, and and it, it just seemed to be a, a kind of a, a gong show leading into the draft. Now, all of a sudden, here comes Serge Beausoleil and undoubtedly a ton of stability. Um, would you think, Kevin, this is a situation where uh, the deal just couldn't get done in time before the draft, and now it's up to Serge to kind of make do with what he's got and the deals that have been made and, uh, and uh, try and bring another President Cup to Gatineau between now and year five? Well, that, that's certainly one perspective. I think you've touched base on a, on a, on a key word in all of this is stability. And uh, when you look at Gatineau and how things ended for them this year, there had to be tremendous disappointment because um, this was a team that obviously was all in. There were a lot of deals, and you mentioned the deals that were made at the draft. Those, a lot of those were kind of already in progress as, uh, as uh, the futures, so to speak, for the January deals that were made. Um, and I think that... Um, maybe it's a bit of a fallout. The change itself is a, is a bit of a fallout of, of the team not performing as well as they had hoped. Uh, when Gatineau was through the Maritimes, there was great optimism. Uh, Gatineau played St. John in the opening round of the playoffs, and they were, they were excited about the building, the atmosphere, everything. It was uh, There's a new season ticket marketing campaign well underway in Gatineau, and there was a lot of, lot of good feelings. When the end came so suddenly... I wonder if that was uh, prompted the moves. And then Serge Beausoleil, who, as Jamie mentioned, is who reveled in the role of the underdog the last number of years, um, comes in as a stabilizing force with a vision for the future. Yeah. And uh, of note, the uh, Olympic uh, have not missed the playoffs since 1984. Um, that's, you know, it's unheard of in junior hockey. So, uh, and that you would have to think on some level would probably be Serge Beausoleil's if he, if he wants to set a goal, keeping that streak alive would certainly be a reasonable one, uh, given the state of the team that uh, he has inherited. So, uh, see, uh, what, uh, takes place, uh, 
in the weeks and months and years ahead uh, for, for Serge Beausoleil in his uh, new location. Uh, two other guys uh, have moved on from their respective Q teams. Uh, we'll start with the one that would de- be decidedly less surprising. Um, this uh, came down the pipe here last week as uh, Stefan Julien has stepped down as the head coach and GM of Sherbrooke Phoenix. Uh, he spent two years in various, or 12 years, I should say, in various capacities uh, with the club. He's leaving for the AHL, but we're not quite sure yet where he's going. Uh, there's some uh, I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed. Um, Kevin, we see this obviously all the time. It's not just a training ground for players. It's a training ground for everybody, whether it's coaches, GMs, officials. Um from what you have seen uh, of Stéphane Julien, um, do you think that uh, him making the next step, um, he will be a more success story, or will it be a situation where it takes a little while for him to get his legs uh, underneath him? I think that ultimately it will end in a success run for him. He has obviously has all this experience uh, in the queue. And it may take some time, however, um, if it's as an assistant role at AHL or if it's uh, that may even take a longer time or if it's the head coaching role, then obviously he's one step away from the big show. And as many coaches in this league and other leagues have proven that if you can get into the NHL, who knows what could happen? Uh, good coaching does tend to take you good places. And um, so I think that uh, it may take it, – it may not be immediate success, but uh, given his track record, I see – Good things. Uh, Jamie, your thoughts? He was always a great players coach in the queue. Um, that generally translates fairly well in, in the pro ranks. Um, you know, maybe safe to say if he does take an assistant role as opposed to a head coaching role, maybe that suits it a little bit better. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I wasn't really surprised to see this news, just given the, where Sherbrooke is at uh, with the rebuild. This is, you know, similar to Gatineau, a total teardown. Um, and rebuild. Um, and Julian's a guy who's been around Sherbrooke for quite a while now and, um, you know, didn't win a championship, but certainly built some really great teams over the years and, um, you know, doesn't really have a lot left to prove um, at the junior level. Um, you know, coach of the world juniors as well. So a guy who I think has kind of lived the full junior experience and was ready for a new role. Um, and I do believe he's going to the Grand Rapids organization in the AHL, which is a very good organization. Um, usually one of the top teams in the AHL, um, and certainly run very well by the Red Wings. So, um, I think it's a good opportunity for him to grow. And I think this is a guy who we will see in the NHL sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, uh, from a GM standpoint, a guy who was able to turn things around very rapidly in, in Sherbrooke, first of all, putting them on the map as a competitive team in the queue to begin with. And then after uh, uh, finishing first in 2020 in the COVID shortened year, then last in 2021, had them right back into the semifinals back-to-back years in 2022, 2023. So we wish him all the best and a very nice guy behind the scenes. Uh, had uh, the opportunity to chat with him uh, a number of times, uh, both uh, as a member of the Phoenix and at the World Juniors and Class Act all the way. Wish him all the best. Uh, so we thought that was going to be the end of uh, coaching news up until about one or two o'clock this afternoon. Um, ironically, the te- the guy whose team had defeated Julian's uh, Sherbrooke Phoenix to get to the final this year. Um, 
that team's looking for a new head coach. Halifax Moose says announced today that Sylvain Favreau has resigned from his position of, of, as a head coach, uh, citing personal reasons. Um, Jamie, we'll start with you on this one. Don't tell me you weren't surprised. <laughs> I knew it was coming. No, very surprised. Very surprised. Station I'm, Nation knows yeah, everything. I'm inside. I'm on the inside. But I, like a lot of these coaching decisions <clears throat> in the queue this year, it's not even that this move happened. It's just when it happened. I think uh, if this if this had happened, you know, a week or two after the season, you know, okay, that that's kind of typical. That happens all the time. But to see it happen at this point of the year is is very surprising. Um, and the other surprising part is certainly where Halifax is in their rebuild. Um, Favreau took them all the way to the league final last year. And I think most of us project them to be back next year. Um, and a step away from that is, is, is certainly surprising. Um, and I, I know there's certainly already speculation of him going to Gatineau just because he's, he's from the Ottawa area. Um, so that will be interesting to see. Um, but very surprising um and very a little bit exciting you know i hope he's doing okay with his personal life uh but for halifax i mean this is kind of exciting just that they're a big market team they have new owners that have we know have big pockets and it, you know the names that could come here are kind of endless yeah and, and that's going to be the other shoe in this whole equation uh, who's going to take the spots obviously you know it, this news is only hours old so the speculation it hasn't really even had time to, to ferment uh, a whole lot. Um, but a guy who, you know, we talked about this uh, with Serge Beausoleil, a guy who represented stability in Ramouski. Well, Sylvain Favreau represented the same thing with the Mooseheads, a team that for a lot, for a number of years there had just a revolving door of coaches, whether it was Andre Terrigny, Jim Midgley, JJ Daniel, and then, uh, Eric Vayun, the Memorial Cup year, is a new guy every year behind the bench. Favreau seemed to, to 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 create that stabilizing influence first as an assistant and then as a head coach. Um, uh, to me, it makes me wonder, you know, what is the next logical step, and and who can who can step in on a team that's already been through a lot together with this former head coach, Kevin? I want to get your thoughts on this. Well, it's been done before. Uh, St. John is a great example of uh, switching a coach and having success. But Gardner McDougal uh, Halifax, it's official. Yeah, that's, that's right. There's that Gardner McDougal shout out. You're waiting for Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the ways of handled the team this year, and um, you know, in in conjunction with Cam Russell, of course, the way that uh, they kind of dealt with being the fourth team of the Big Four. And there wasn't maybe as much expectations on them, but the way that uh, particularly the young defense, and we've talked about Dylan McKinnon and his ascent uh, as a, as a strong player this year, but there are other, some other young guys, Owen Phillips is as an example, uh, Jack Martin from Moncton guys that got significant minutes in the finals against, uh, against uh, Quebec. And uh, then of course you have some bigger, bigger players, but that team really meshed, together and it seemed like everybody uh did did their job uh, we talked about matthew cataford earlier and he didn't have the greatest of starts to the playoffs but in the series against moncton he was he was dominant force in games four and game five that really clinched that and set the table for them to take a run and i think that's a reflective reflection of good work behind the bench so when i saw this uh, unlike jamie i was terribly shocked <laughs> and uh and uh i was especially because the table has been set and he's been helping set the table and they're right there. And so it 
it, it did. That was, uh, you know, there's a lot of surprises in hockey and there's a lot of surprises in the queue. This is uh, right up there with the biggest of them all. Yeah. And, and you talk about uh, some of the bigger guns on that Moosehead team, um, you know, the Jordan Dumais, the, the Jake Furlongs, Marcus Viticeks, you know, what have you, Mavis Russo. These guys have only had, um, uh, have only known uh, uh, an organization with Sylvain Favreau within it, you know, either as a head coach, maybe as a, an assistant coach uh, um, in the, uh, in the early, early days uh, when JJ Daniel was still there. So it, it's, I'm sure it's reverberating through that, uh, through that organization right now and be very interesting to see what happens next year uh, with whomever is behind that bench in uh, a bit of a pressure situation in Halifax. But of course, that's next year. We're going to focus uh, next week on what's happened in the next in the next seven days to come. There's still a lot to take place, obviously. Um, the big guns are down in Nashville right now, prepping for the 2023 NHL entry draft. We'll bring you a full recap of that next week. Uh, we'll talk about the team of the week. One team left out of 32 that we have not talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and uh, as well, any news and uh, notes uh, from around the league seems like uh, there's a strong possibility that we'll be following <laughs> up on a few things based on what we just talked about the last few minutes, guys. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for uh, joining us here uh, tonight. Uh, hopefully we get to have you on here uh, sooner rather than later uh, in the future. Well, thanks for the invite. And as I like, as I say in the radio business, first time, long time, and uh, glad to be here. Excellent. Kevin Barrett from Post Media joining us here for this episode. And, of course, Jamie Tozer, as usual, with us. I'm Will McLaren for our producer, Connor Somerville, behind the scenes. Thank you for watching yet another edition of THN On The Cue, brought to you by BetMGM. We'll see you next week.